Welcome to this week's episode of the Radio Oripas podcast, the podcast where we explore the culture of beer. And I'm your host, Danny Walker. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you all enjoyed last week's episode with Marika from Fromagerie Kef. If you haven't been able to listen to that yet, don't worry. If you head over to our website, you'll find all previous shows. I'm also excited to announce we have some t-shirts designed by the one and only Victor Brangolo. They will be available on our website very, very soon, so keep your eyes peeled on there. The address is udipus.com forward slash radio. And you can also find the podcast by searching Radio Udipus on whatever app you may use. This week, we cover everything you want to know about blending. The first part of the show, Sander takes me on a tour of the Udipus Barrel Room. Then Erwin from Eindhoven's Van Moll joins in for a live blending session. The recording took place over a whole afternoon. We discuss what beer blending is all about, why collaborating is important. You also hear Sander and Erwin figuring out the best way to blend a beer. And then also Erwin sticks around for a few questions at the end. All that on today's episode of the Radio Oedipus podcast. So today we're focusing on a specific technique in beer making, one that takes place not using conventional brewing equipment. The location is usually a storage or cellar space. In our case, it's a warehouse room just to the side of our normal production. You'll not find big steel fermenting vessels here. This one is for barrel aging uh, and beer blending. It really is a treasure chest and library of beer at different stages, going through different processes, being affected by a number of different factors. Beer blending is a method of beer making that is a lot closer to wine making. Now, Sander's here with me, and we're in the Oedipus Barrel Room, and we see a library of uh, different barrels. With there are over a hundred in here, and the barrels range from whiskey barrels to cognac barrels to wine barrels to even some that have got some lemon balm in. Sander was telling me. Now, Sander, how does beer blending differ from conventional beer making, and how often would you blend a beer? Yeah, well. So blending is basically putting two things together. And I think that's a technique you can also use for stainless steel beers. We don't do that a lot. Uh, but when we blend, it's often beers that have been sitting in a barrel for a certain amount of time. And often to uh, create something more complex. So okay. a barrel on itself can be really good. But often if you add a bit of something else, you can increase the complexity and make a more interesting beer. Okay. And I think that counts, yeah, basically for blending in general, uh, but it's also very much how we approach these 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 barrels and what, what, how we use them. Okay, okay, cool. And what different, ta- like I see so many here, what different types of barrels do we have here? What is, say, your most interesting barrel? Um, well, yeah, there's there's a lot of different barrels. So also made in different parts of the world. Also consists of different oak. It's all oak that's oh, been yeah. used in this barrel in 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 our barrels. And why is it why is oak good to use? Um, uh, I think the qualities of oak that are suitable for using them. What we use them for is that they they give a bit of flavor and it's strong, it's thick, uh, robust. Yeah. Um, yeah, depth and flavor, mm-hmm. not too porous, not too uh, closed. It's, yeah. it's just right, I guess. I must admit that I also didn't dive as much into it as I would like because so it's made from 
oak, and that's a tree. Mm -hmm. And oak trees grow in certain parts of the world, also having different characteristics. Mm -hmm. So whether it's from the US or from Hungary or from France or from Japan even, that might influence the type of oak okay. that you uh, can use to make a barrel. So then you're but also talking about certain kinds of bits of terroir almost <laughs> from the wood. Yeah, no, that, sure. Yeah, yeah no, uh, it does affect... Uh, the, the type of wood does affect the quality of the barrel and also what what you get out of it then, whatever yeah. you put in, whether it's whiskey or beer or mm -hmm. wine, it, uh, it does affect. But there's also barrels being made from uh, uh, chestnut wood okay. or uh, cherry wood. And uh, yeah, we have none. Okay, okay. None of those. But uh, you were asking <laughs> which was my uh, favorite. I, so we have a lot. It's all oak. Uh, they're all, we have no barrel that is new, straight from a cooper, so they're all held uh, liquids before they arrived here. Mm -hmm. Most of them is uh, contained wine before, so red wine, white wine. Some had uh, stronger, redder white wines, so mm -hmm. also Marsala or sweet white wines, so like Sauterne. Um, we have some whiskey barrels from Scotland, but also some bourbon barrels from the US. We have Calvados barrels from France. Uh, yeah, so it's a lot. But actually what I'm often most pleased by or what the, the beers that I tend to like the most are the ones from 500 liter uh, red wine barrels yeah. where we have quite a few of. They're slightly bigger. Now they're all they're all numbered. Which numbers are they just to try and... Uh... Yeah, so the numbers go all over the place. So yeah, we yeah. just started counting when we got our first barrels in and <laughs> right. sometimes we got some 500s, then some 225s again and yeah. then some bourbon barrels. So it's, uh, it tells uh, something about the time they've been with us, okay. the number. Uh, but for instance, barrel number five, I think, as always, we've packaged twice a beer out of it. I think it's over here. Okay. Uh, we packaged twice yeah, out of it. And it, uh, it, it, they were both really good beers. Yeah, barrel oh yeah, we five. see number uh, five now, yeah. 32 is also a good one. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that, that size barrel, um, uh, yeah, it gave the best results, uh, in my opinion, thus far. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so you mentioned the, the Cooper, who is the barrel maker. Why, yeah. why is wood and barrels still used? Because I would say that wood isn't the most clean and sanitary product. So why do we still use that What when there may be other modern pieces of equipment available? Flavor. Flavor. Yeah, it's yeah. flavor. Yeah, whether you... Uh, it's, so it's, I think, a lot of oak barrels are still used in winemaking and spirits. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's purely for flavor. So mm -hmm. uh, barrels are made from staves and then the inside can be toasted. Mm -hmm. So basically they, they have some fire in there to char the inside of a barrel. And that gives flavor. So mm -hmm. that can give some... Uh, yeah, oak can... Uh, display a bit of vanilla flavor, but also caramelly, toffee, the um, burnt kind of flavor. Mm -hmm. Sometimes also spicy, a bit of cinnamon, clove. Uh, uh, you can get from putting a liquid in a barrel. Mm -hmm. And you have it in whiskies, you have it in uh, wines, of course. And uh, yeah, beer, beer the same. How does that process go about when you blend a beer? And, and can you predict a little bit what would be in each of these beers and and yeah how does that process go a little bit yeah so a lot of the barrels that we have here uh, uh, the vast majority we use also for re-fermentations inside the barrels so, and we use wild yeast and bacteria for that sometimes 
from a lab, sometimes from other beers that we drank and liked. Sometimes uh, we also have some spontaneously inoculated barrels here where yeah. we use a cool ship. Um, but the majority of the barrels have some wild yeast and bacteria in them, and they can make it sometimes hard to predict what will actually happen. Mm -hmm. At the same time with blending, it is possible. If you have one barrel, we've packaged a couple of beers, only a few, that we only used one barrel. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that barrel was so good by itself that we thought, okay, this is it. It doesn't yeah. need anything else. This is perfect. And then we have 225 or 500 liters of beer that we uh, mostly put in kegs. But uh, most often... A uh, barrel displays a certain uh, quality or characteristics that uh, might need something else. Maybe something lighter to uh, brighten up. Sometimes it can be also unbarrel-aged beer, mm -hmm. so just beer from a tank. Um, sometimes it can be uh, it needs more depth, so we put another barrel in it. So we uh, sometimes it needs more sourness, so we seek out a sour, more acidic barrel, or sometimes. And you know bitter. which one those by number that will touch upon those notes better than others. Oh, that's about sampling. Yeah. So we fill a barrel and then put it in there. And usually after three, somewhere between three and six months, we start to taste it and see how it's developing. Mm -hmm. And we, we keep notes of that and, mm -hmm. and therefore have an idea uh, about what's going in a barrel. And then when we have an idea about a new beer that we might use a barrel for, mm -hmm. then we can go through those notes or sample some more uh, beer from these barrels and see what's suitable. Mm -hmm. And it's just a lot about tasting, tasting, trying and administering whatever we find in what barrel and see how it develops. And the more often you do it, the more experience you get and the more easy it, it might become to predict. But we also had some barrels that we put together or blends we put together. And then after packaging, they you know, uh, developed in a direction a we way. didn't expect, sometimes really good, sometimes uh, not so good. Yeah. Uh, and that can that also happens inside the barrel. Sometimes we put beer in a barrel and after six months, it's really good or going in the right direction. After nine months, it's gone. Mm -hmm. You know, something came up, came in. It's also very unpredictable, makes it also very exciting to me. We can make... In my opinion, I think the most complex and elegant beers using also uh, wild cultures and and barrels, mm -hmm. uh, but it can also go horribly wrong. Right? <laughs> yeah. How often would you monitor and do these samples then? Uh, good question. I, it depends a bit. So sometimes there there must be barrels in here that I haven't sampled for maybe close to a year, uh, but I think. Depends on what's in there, why we put it in there, and what we want to do with it, and yeah. when also. Okay, yeah. So uh, also the practical side of it, you know, we need to have time. It's very labor intensive. We package all these beers that come from here manually, mm -hmm. corking manually, caging manually. So yeah, uh, we need. Uh, it, it takes a lot of time for from the packaging team. We Way need to more plan of a that. Approach. Yeah, no. Yeah. So there's this practical side also. Uh, so sometimes, but I would say at least like a rhythm of three months would be mm -hmm. good to see what's going on. Sometimes maybe a bit more often if your uh, beer is developing rather fast. I think why I also like the bigger barrels is that they develop somewhat slower. Mm -hmm. You also have really big barrels, which are called fooders mm -hmm. that can hold up to 
thousands of liters and mm. they can be really big. Um, we have none of those, but the, because they are so much bigger, there's less surface contact of the uh, of the liquid with the with the container itself, and also. Because wood is uh, a bit porous, air can go in. Mm -hmm. uh, air can speed up certain uh, processes that are going on inside the barrel. Um, and the bigger the barrel gets, the slower all these processes are, uh, are right, moving. Okay. Okay. And uh, yeah, so it really depends on these things, on how often you want to sample and see what's going on. Yeah. And for you as a brewer, is this process maybe something that's way more exciting to do than maybe conventional brewing? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I'm, I, I like to spend time here and yeah. it's, it's really something different where, and I think less of a linear process where on the clean side, it's really brewing, fermenting, conditioning, packaging yeah. done, yeah. uh, let's say in a month and here time and also the seasons and the weather. And we also use herbs fruits uh other products like if you use a cool ship it's only or it's best they say to do it in the winter or that's all what all lambic brewers do so the seasons play a big big role in this and it's a more i think a more natural way of beer making which excites me a lot and it's also very uh, more new to me so and unpredictable and therefore really excited although things can go horribly wrong and you can put a lot of time and effort into something that turns out not so great mm. but uh, that also makes it very exciting. Yes, mm, yeah. cool. And is there one? Is there one barrel that uh, you maybe know not to use, or you've had a particular bad experience where you've like it's totally? Uh... Uh, we have a few around that we know are shit, <laughs> and uh, they they've been neglected, or uh, you know that they developed wrong. What and, happened? Uh, what? A couple times we underfilled them and never got, and they were forgotten. So we have this beautiful space now, very spacious and lots of room. Everything, every barrel is accessible, but it wasn't the case a couple of years ago yeah, or yeah. until six months ago, even. It was all in a corner and I had to climb up and behind to take a sample. And sometimes a barrel got in in the back or underneath and uh, just got neglected. And mm -hmm. uh, sometimes if a barrel, is not filled all the way to the top. Uh, there's too much oxygen and the wrong bacteria. So Acetobacter is the bacteria that produces vinegar uh, and also so acetic acid. Uh, they thrive in an oxygen-rich environment. Uh, so if there's too much uh, headspace, there can be too much oxygen in, and then Acetobacter can develop, and you can get a really harsh-tasting uh, beer. Sander, I can see some barrels in front of us. What have we got here? Yeah, so we're looking now at uh, the barrels that we filled. So the collaboration is a beer. Uh, it, it's going to be a blend of beers, uh, a beer that's brewed uh, by Van Mol uh, at his place and uh, by us at our place. And we filled uh, three white wine barrels with a Berliner Weisse. Mm -hmm. uh, we filled also two cognac barrels with the same Berliner Weisse and filled, I think, also three or four white wine barrels again with uh, the same Berliner Weisse, but after we've um, macerated some uh, lemon balm in that. Oh, nice, cool. So the Berliner Weisse was in the stainless steel tank, was just mm -hmm. brewed as normal, but instead of sending it to the bright beer tank and packaging it, 
we filled some barrels, then added the lemon bomb, uh, and after that we filled some more barrels. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so the barrels that were brewed at Vermol also arrived a couple of weeks ago. That those are the same cognac barrels that we also filled, but he uh, yeah brewed a saison, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah we're gonna taste all these separate barrels and the different components and see what we can make out of that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, if it's any good. Yeah, so the, the, the fact that we've got it in cognac and also what to me on the face of it seems like quite a, an opposite flavoring, so a lemon balm, uh, what kind of differences would you expect from flavor when you're tasting these later? Um, yeah, so the, the, the idea was to brew saison, put it in cognac barrels, put a Berliner Weisse, put it in white wine barrels. That was the basic mm -hmm. idea. But then we had a brew, 2,500 liters of beer, and we figured out, yeah, we're not going to fill all only white wine barrels with this. I don't, I'm not sure if we actually had enough of that, but I want to split it up and see mm -hmm. how, in what different directions the beer, the Berliner Weisse base could develop. So filled some just in a white wine barrel, I also wanted to see how the same cognac barrels I, I sourced from the same supplier uh, as Erwin did. So mm -hmm. we have the same cognac barrels, but two different beers in that. Mm -hmm. And it was more of a test to see if that could be useful in this uh, blending day. And uh, yeah, if maybe some extra layer that we might miss in the just Berliner rice from a wine barrel, just saison from a cognac barrel mm -hmm. could be missing out. And same with the lemon balm. That's also a bit... Uh, we had that lying around. It was mm. uh, uh, something we could add to the beer. And I think it was maybe not so much. I never related it really to, okay, this could work with the cognac, but it's, I could see that working in the base Berliner that had some citrusy flavors that could yeah. be boosted with this more herbal, but very citrusy flavors that you can get from lemon balm. Yeah, cool. All right. Uh, Sanders here with me again, and also Erwin from Van Moll has joined me. Welcome, Erwin. How are you? Nice to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. Good, good. So, we're, you two are working on a beer for a collaboration today, right? Yep. So, to start off, tell me how this collaboration between Uripus and Van Moll uh, started out. Sander, if you want to give an introduction, that would be great. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, we... Um Got an invitation for Van Mol's uh, postponed festival yep, uh, yep. for uh, that was supposed to be held uh, last uh, August, wasn't it? Uh, and uh, yeah, part of the deal was to uh, make beer together, yep. and we've done it in the past. But a uh, uh, year or five, six, five, six uh, years ago, I think we did a beer uh, a saison with mango and mint and chili, and was it something else? Some spice, some herb, I think. Could be coriander, My fresh coriander, or something uh, like that. I don't know. It was a saison that we did in our yeah, beer. Spice saison. Yeah. And this sure. is the bikini that you that were was just talking about. Bikini, bikini, right. bikini yeah, bottom. Yeah, you wanted bikini bottom in oh, Dutch yeah. town, bikini broek. Oh yeah, in uh, Dutch. <laughs> Not <laughs> the <laughs> South Park or the SpongeBob. SpongeBob. Yeah. But the idea for the festival was this because the last two summers I've been away doing collabs uh, abroad in the UK and in Spain and. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm not going to do turn this into a kind of travel trend uh, every year. So I thought, okay, that would be cool to 
ask all the Dutch breweries that attend the festival uh, that, that we do a beer together. And right. and since, uh, of course, the, the, the festival was planned uh, end of August, uh, the, uh, and, and we did some barrel-aged beers, well, we, we, we thought, okay, let's do a couple of beers uh, early in the year because uh, then they're ready uh, for the festival, which didn't happen, of course. Yeah, well, that, that's unfortunate. But yep. So based on the fact uh, that that festival was all set up to do a lot of collaborations with all Dutch uh, breweries. Why do you think it's important as a modern craft brewery to collaborate? Well, for me, it's still mostly the fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> the fun of it, but but let's be honest also because you always learn something from each other and mm. I think that's important as well. I, I don't really see it as a kind of marketing thing mm-hmm. per se, although, of course, it's that as well. Course, uh, but... For me, it's important then, well, yeah, you have to know the people and you have to, uh, uh, well, I would never do a collaboration with a brewery that I think are assholes or something like that. <laughs> so it's always something about friendship in craft beer f- for me. And, and and yeah, well, if you hang out together and you're talking, well, of course, when you're brewers, you think, oh, let's make a beer together. I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah, that's the fun that's logical. Yeah. yeah. And how about you, Sander? How do you feel about collaborating? Yeah, uh, I agree with most of what Aaron said. Um I think the 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 craft beer community was getting together a lot at festivals and events and either yeah the contact was really good I think with from the beginning you know when we started a couple of other breweries in the Netherlands started Ursoep for more a few more but yeah, somehow uh, we connected and therefore we still hang out, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, I still uh, uh, text uh, Sander Kobes of Ursoops every now and then. And uh, That's of course the running gag. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I received what's, what's emails, the running gag? emails or WhatsApp I have, uh, messages. In my phone I have Sander, uh, I just put the name of the brewery or the, uh, yeah, yeah. so it's Sander Oedipus and Sander Ursoop and they're, so they're very near and when I don't, oh, th- very close. when I don't think close enough, which happens a lot apparently, then <laughs> I text, uh, <laughs> the text the wrong Sander with a question regarding something. So, and it was a couple, already a couple of years yeah. ago since it happened, but it happened again. Uh, it happened again. <laughs> yeah. Classic mistake. Classic but, uh, mistake. Some unplanned collaborations <laughs> there via text message. But, so, but we also have a collaboration in barrels with Ursoop. Oh, nice. ah, cool. is, is or was also planned for the festival so oh nice okay great yeah and i think this this whole community feel and and brewers doing the same kind of things in their own way in the same time in the same industry that mm-hmm. naturally evolved in uh okay let's make beer and uh mm-hmm. let's see what you do and uh what would you do if uh, you'd had some uh herbs or spices or uh, how would you uh, treat this yeast strain or what yeah. can we do with this or end up with that and that's an ongoing conversation and craft brewers pushing the boundaries they I think also like to challenge each other uh, to push boundaries even more and I think that's uh, have been really important driver for these all these collaborations that yeah. have been uh, going on. Yeah, could come up with something new. That's always interesting, yeah. I think. And, and to get a little bit out of your comfort zone or, uh, yeah. or uh, of course, let's, let's be honest, if you do a beer with a brewery that's very good in wild beers, uh, uh, do something... Well, in, in that style, but trying that, for instance, me, the, the other brewery, trying to give a twist to that, but also using the fact that they're experts on that uh, in that field. Yeah. So you try to be, exp- yeah, yeah, use both your expertise uh, to come up, with, come up with something new. Yeah, speaking about that expertise and kind of that comfort zone, what is it, Owen, do you find about 
Uripus is beer making and Sander is a beer maker that makes it fascinating for you to work with? Well, first of all, I think we should say that that that, that we known each other for eight years or so. I think. I mean, yeah. even before we started our own brew pub, we visited the, the then planned brew pub of Uripus oh, yeah. uh, uh, near the Best station dog, somewhere, yeah. uh, which in the end didn't happen. But I mean, from that time, we already know, know each other. It's familiar, so, yeah. Yeah. So, and what I always liked about the Oedipus beers and still like is the fact that they are very good. I think in light alcohol beers and, and do interesting tastes with that uh, mm-hmm. with or without uh, kind of wild or mixed fermentation things but I always really like that mm-hmm. I think that's also what what you have in common with Ursoup uh, mm-hmm. kind of light light but very interesting beers with a lot of character mm-hmm. and a similar question for you Sander what is it about like Irwin's beer making profile that you find interesting to collaborate with yeah, over the time that I know Erwin, what what always uh, struck me is the attention to detail. You know, yeah. I think uh, Erwin is one of the most uh, punctual brewers that I know, and and really takes uh, recipe development, uh, yeah, super critical. It's very critical. You think about, so? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Yeah, that's, but, that's I, f- not not in my mind. I'm oh no, <laughs> no? Yeah. no, oh that's funny. <laughs> yeah. I I always have the tendency to round off whole bags of malt, whole bags of like five kilo bags of hops in, yeah. in recipes to just, you know, what I'm going to do with the last 500 grams or so. And I think I've had multiple conversations with the collab that we did, but also, you know, uh, uh, meeting each other and talking about, uh, yeah, we both used uh, other breweries to uh, to make our beers and, uh, okay, how you go about this or that. Yeah, I have a recipe and a certain amount of IBUs and if I brew it here, it's this. If I brew it there, it's that. Maybe higher, lower. Uh, talking recipe in very big detail. And I think I'm, I, be, I think, uh, in my uh, view, I'm a bit more sloppy in recipe development uh, compared to Erwin. But I think it really, it, it tells me also that you can really make a difference in creating beers that are uh, yeah, balanced, harmonious, that are right, that are not uh, too harsh or too too much of this, too much of that. I think there, there has been uh, also over the years that we started brewing the, the there there's been the the excitement in in looking for extremes but mm-hmm. i think there's also more and more in my opinion a need for a more harmonious balanced uh tasty flavors uh, nonetheless and i think that's that's what i i think found in Aaron's beers always you know the the sort of harmony and sort of well thought through no coincident that it tastes like the way it does but are the brewers and that uh, the brewers are coincidences well no if i compare it to myself i think it's more uh, m- maybe more uh it's uh, i think less designed and a bit more uh, in- you think so but in- i mean yeah. for instance you, you still have the gaia ipa i think right yeah yeah, yeah. i mean you changed and fine-tuned that recipe so many times i think right yeah, exactly. yeah but it's it's also uh so gaia is a great example because i think it's our ipa our flagship IPA, uh, I think it's uh, it's we get better and better in in I think making the point of what it should make. You know, having this West Coast IPA with showcasing classic American hops, Cascade, Centennial, Chinook, Amarillo, uh, Columbus. 
I think those those are the hops that 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 define uh, Gaia. But also there's, you know, sometimes we're out of Centennial or we're out of uh, Chinook, and then That's we the replace it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and yeah. then okay, we can replace Chinook maybe with some Simcoe. You know, we've done that, and it turns out a bit more like this, a bit more like that, and. Um, I'm not saying I'm throwing anything in this beer, but it's very much under development, but also sometimes a bit coincidentally that uh, something happens, something comes up. Uh, installing a centrifuge in a brewery has, has some impact on the flavor. I like it, you know, I think yeah. the beer improved a lot, uh, but there's always uh, this ongoing and not necessarily really well thought through or planned out development scheme where mm. I, 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 maybe I'm totally wrong, but I have the impression that you are more, you think these things through a bit more. Uh, <laughs> would you, think, what would, would no, you believe in that analysis? I think, analysis. You're, I think <laughs> you're wrong and you're right. I mean, I think, I mean, yeah, I do, I do both things. I mean, uh, yes, of course I try to uh, make the best beer possible and to develop the recipes, but also, uh, be uh, you know originally i'm a musician and i like improvising so uh, yeah. Yeah. a lot of the things i do are really impro improvisations uh, okay yeah okay and of course if you improvise something then then we, we before we started recording we talked a bit about the bikini beer mm -hmm. which which uh, we uh, i made twice and uh, on a very small scale but i mean i would uh, fine-tune it uh, for for further batches if we would want to uh, ever wanted to do that uh, yeah. so you start with an improvisation and then of course you tweak it as you can it, yeah. yeah yeah and of course yeah if we if, for instance we we brew our own specials uh, in 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 weert in uh, the brouwschuur and there's a centrifuge there as well now so yes of course i'm going to use it there as well and, and and see what i can do uh, or what it does to my beers and <clears throat> and yeah like i like like i said uh, uh Last year I was in the UK brewing with all these amazing breweries that uh, a lot of them are also very good at making top hoppy beers. So every knowledge I got there, I, I took home and I tried to incorporate it uh, in our bit. beers or try to see, okay, yeah, so if we do this, we can maybe even get a smoother hoppiness or whatever. Uh, so yeah, yeah, but but I think that's that that's what everyone every brewery does, right? Yeah, so, but I think yeah, I think I, th uh, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say so. But there is a difference in uh, uh, attention to detail, and I've I've I have the impression that you are are paying much attention to details we'll and i think that's that, uh, really we'll important compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah exactly it's, it's, it's a compliment that's what i'm trying to do yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to be nice yeah 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 i thought that co that question might end up with a bit of a tennis match of, uh, <laughs> of opinion there um so before we get started with the with the tasting i have a couple of questions sandra has also already given a bit of an introduction earlier to uh, what beer he's got but whereabouts in the process are we so far? You've made a beer, uh, Erwin, and what what is it? What beer have you made for this collaboration? Well, the idea was, I think, to to I don't know. I, th I think it started first as a kind of thing. Okay, let's do a collaboration here in Amsterdam, and I think then already the Corona thing happened, and and it's changed into a kind of idea which we talked about on the phone. Okay, would it be good to discuss, of course, what we want to do, but. Brew a beer in Amsterdam, which Oedipus brews, and we brew also brew a beer, and we both barrel age it, and then mm -hmm. we blend it, and 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 of course we started thinking about what what kind of beers would fit together, or what could we do, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that was I think four or five months ago. So we're now we're at a stage where we're going to 
taste the, 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 the both the results yeah. and, and see how they fit together and what what is needed and what is uh, yeah, working. It's a saison, right? It's a saison. Yeah, that yeah the, the idea was yeah. that we would brew a, a saison, and uh, uh, since I worked with uh, a quadruple in, in cognac barrels, which I liked very much, I suggested we could age it in cognac barrels, also to make it a difference with mm-hmm. beer that Sander uh, was brewing, which which I think he should tell about. Yeah. Yeah, so what, just reintroduce the beer yeah. that you've got going on. Um, so we brewed, I have the brew sheet in front of me, uh, Berliner Weisse in March, mid-March. So uh, mm-hmm. really uh, we just the start a of the lockdown. Later, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you were later, yeah, I think yeah. a month, maybe two yeah. or so. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a Berliner Weisse indeed with the... Uh, intention to blend it together a bit mm-hmm. like polyamorie where we have also kettle soured and uh, clean wort or unsoured wort and mm-hmm. try to combine those on indeed both beers see barrels mm-hmm. uh, we spoke about that before our beer white wine barrels a couple of iterations because yeah we uh, brewed uh, around 2500 liters of this and uh, yeah that would be 10 or more uh 225 liter white wine barrels i'm mm-hmm. not sure if we had those <laughs> back then but uh, we want to split it up also filled some cognac barrels um mm-hmm. so there's actually a lot uh, to pick from uh what might be different than what we do mostly is that there's no wild yeast involved i think we discussed it uh, yeah, yeah. when we talked yeah. about the idea well, for this should beer still need bread yeah <laughs> yeah uh, that you know, we have a saison with uh, Saccharomyces Troy yeast. We have yeah. Berliner Weisse. Of course, there's there have been Lactobacillus involved to yeah. uh, sour it, but they're also in the kettle souring process. They're uh, uh, boiled, uh, so they're not doing anything anymore. So, what's the choice in leaving out a, a, a culture then? Yeah, or I think that's also culture, something sorry. that uh, Aaron le- said, and I would easily or think, okay, let's do it all together. Let's more bread uh, will likely become better. But he said, yeah, there's already quite some factors, and I really like that uh, argument. That uh, yeah, we have already two different base beers. We have already two different types of barrels. Yeah. Uh, we have multiple barrels, so there might be already some deviation. Let's leave that. That's enough. You know, Fair we have enough. a sour beer, we have a saison. Yeah. Uh, less well, it, it might it, be it, more. It might be not enough, but it gives us more options now to... Because to, it's not been added. To, yeah, to still do something. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. mean if, if, if it lacks something, uh, some fruitiness or uh, freshness or whatever, we can still uh, think of what we would uh, want to add now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can still dry up it or add fruit or mm-hmm. add spices or blend it with a little bit of fresh beer. Uh, all these options are, are still there. Yeah, so uh, we're now about to try all the beers. Sandra and Irwin have kindly allowed me to also try some of the beers with them. So now we've got nine different beers in front of us, I think, and all split up into loads of different glasses Lots of uh, funky smells, lots of glasses. Uh, so, what? What? Talk me through the process that uh, you would do now, Erwin. Is it just trying all the beers? And we, well, basically, we have four big cognac barrels with our beer. Then I think Sandel's beer is uh, uh, two different barrels, or no, three. I think three different types of uh, barrels and or. Uh, uh, two different beers in two different barrels. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, to, make, okay. to make things simpler, uh, I think the first way thing we're going to do is try all four of the barrels of Arbia. The Van Mol, four yeah. Van Mol, yeah. And uh, if there's not one that really spring, that's really different, then yeah. we'll add, well, blend these four together so we have one base beer from our side. Yeah. yeah. If if it's really surprisingly that there's one barrel very different, then 
or two or two <laughs> yeah we should keep that separate and see it as an or option old. to blend uh, cool cool so right. let's let's try them I think. okay so yeah. that's the stage right let's try the van moles yeah, yeah. start so by one or four one okay let's stop yeah quickly sniffing all the samples first and see if anything stands out there are some slight differences yeah, i guess i smell some four slightly yeah i smell something that is a bit peachy almost and the element stands out for me, especially in, in one and one? two. One, for sure. And I think one also has a bit of this. Hmm. Two is a little bit more fruity. I'm already tasting them. Mm -hmm. In one, I get um, a bit more the... Um, really, sometimes you have these uh, desserts or almost uh, with raisins like bourillonas, you know? Mm -hmm. I have that a bit uh, in one, like a bit of dried fruit, uh, some raisins or maybe other dried fruit. And that sort of old, dusty, oaky character. I think those cognac barrels are, are, are actually, they're not, they're, they've been used and they, they, have, uh, they weren't uh, manufactured five years ago. They, and sometimes you can really taste that in a barrel that it's really old and- uh, I mean, the barrels. The, the yeah, but there's this barrel characteristic that you get from certain barrels that can become a bit dusty or cellar-like and know, yeah, it can become too much but uh, I, I really see it as a quality that you have in, in certain uh, mm -hmm. barrel age or barrel fermented beers to be honest I, I think all four are quite similar at least similar yeah. enough that I don't think well that, that's a, have a big difference one of them is a really different yeah. kind no. of option for blending there's no outstanding individual no. one you see well, yeah, in, in the end, it's the same beer in the same barrel, so, yeah, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and no... Usually there's one barrel that does stand out, but, and no but here it isn't. <laughs> and uh, a previous, uh, barrels that have been previously been used for spirit. Yeah, it's funny. I, I think they're uh, remarkably similar. There are some subtle differences, yeah. but I'm uh, surprised where the dairy notes come from. The yogurt yeah. uh, and the, yeah. the second one. The first one also has it a bit, but the second one is the most uh, prominent. I think it's a really solid base beer by itself. I think it will be really exciting to see what we can put on top of it. But I think we can safely say this is uh, very yeah, comparable. Yeah, I think so too. And and, uh, that's a good thing in this yeah, case, I think. Yeah. So I think we should just all blend these glasses together, which, okay, are, which so we are doing now. And make so one yeah. glass out of four. And that's yep, so we have uh, one great. big glass with basically our base beer, yeah. which we can now... Well, we got to try the... So that makes life a lot easier, yep. let's yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is, because, I mean, it's not it's not good to have 16 different options to all blend together. At least, okay. uh, it, it, like, as, uh, we, I try to do that as, mu as much as possible, to not make it all too too complicated and to have different uh, barrels, have used it as a different beer or, or sell it differently, package it differently. Okay, okay. Okay, so now we're trying the uh, Oedipus beers with... Got a barrel 96, 97, and 98 here. What, so what uh, what barrels have these been in, Sander? 96, 97, and oh. 98. These are three uh, white wine barrels. White wine uh, barrels. And yeah, we had uh, the base Berliner. There were some hops in there, some uh, late, and uh, I think also some dry hops. Not too much. Let me pull up the brew sheet. Oh, yeah. A bit of Horta Blanc and Mandarina Bavaria. Dry hops, uh, Strachy Ace, and Citra in the hop bag. I think, let me share a secret, but uh, I think all our Berliners receive some Srachi 8's uh, late right. oil. 
uh, I, uh, yeah, I think I it like helps. <laughs> I think it helps uh, yeah. Berliners. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, I think. Really like this, huh? Yeah, really strong white wine aroma. Yeah, that, uh, this oh. is this is in. Well, this is my beer kind of beer anyway. I mean, yeah. white wine barrels and uh, sour beer. Uh, so just release this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, decided. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> I think the 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 the, the this one, uh, the first one, or at least my first one. Yeah. You worked from '96. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's. It's the best smell for me. Mm. The second one has got more peach. The middle one, yeah. strangely enough. And when you were, if you were to, we'll get onto it in a bit, but if uh, you smell similar notes in each, would that be that be a good thing, let's say, to blend them together so that both notes try and sing together? Because we had kind of peachy notes in one of your beers. So then to blend it with something that also has a peach note with that. Yeah, that yeah. could work. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're looking for more contrasting flavors, sometimes for uh, more accompanying flavors. Uh, yeah. Both can work. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's also, yeah, sometimes you can have all these rules on paper, you know, also with food pairing and wines and, uh, but or food pairing with beer, this works with that always, yeah. but... I think we're also, and we're putting a lot of time and effort in this to also figure it out and just do it, having in front of us, explore all the options. We have a lot of possibilities here. Uh, we want to see what, what can come up and uh, maybe simplify. Maybe we, we split out uh, at a later stage. Uh, but first, I think we want to assess every barrel mm -hmm. and uh, then see what, what we can do with it. The last one. It's a bit sulfury note, but I really like it. it, it yeah, it's a bit lambic -y, uh, Yeah, and a bit, a bit lambic -y. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit more that. But again, they're, uh, for me, similar enough to say, well, let's chuck them together. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I think that leads to the logical uh, next step. And because we have two base beers in front of us, the Saison from Vermont Cognac Barrels, the Berliner Weiss and White Wine Barrels, and blend these and explore different blending ratios. So 50-50 obviously can be a starting point. And from there, maybe one-third, two-third, two-third, one-third, uh, see what happens. The two brewers spent quite some time talking and deciding what ratios to use in the beer blend. They also had to take into consideration the volume of beer they had, which resulted in the possibility of making two beers. But Irwin discusses more about that at the end when he agrees to stick around and answer a few of my questions. If you have any questions or feedback for me, please get in contact via the address radio at uripus.com. But for now, here's the second part of my conversation with Sander and Irwin. Okay, so after sitting and tasting uh, a lot of different ratios of different beers and everything with Erwin and Sander, they've kind of come up with a direction for the final blend. Am I right, guys? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, for, for one of the final blends. For one uh, of the final blends. <laughs> but let's talk about the one that we've uh, spent the majority of the last hour or so talking about. What, <laughs> what's the kind of direction on it then and the ratios? Yeah, so we started uh, doing different ratios for, from the... Um, Two base beers, yeah, and the one that uh, uh, struck me more, or I liked the most was uh, two thirds Berliner from White Wine Barrel, 
one third saison from Cognac Barrel. Mm -hmm. And I think from there on, Erwin took it for, to keep that one third saison from the Cognac Barrel, mm -hmm. but have the other three components uh, as the rest of the two thirds. So mm -hmm. not just the Berliner from the white wine, but also the Berliner from white wine with lemon balm and also a Berliner from the Cognac Barrel. And that's, uh, I would say, the winner from yeah. uh, for today. Yeah. Definitely most complex, very harmonious, uh, very accessible, I think, flavors, very almost neutral, but so complex. So yeah. it, it, it's, it's simple, but complex at the same time. It balanced uh, out those rich, mature flavors that we found in the Saison, and then also gave it this white wine character as well. Yeah, and I think this really shows, or what we just did in the, the, the this exercise we did, that sometimes really, Less can be more if you really have one barrel. Also, I think we've came across barrels where I think this could have been packaged just by itself, but you will miss certain complexity. And I think that's what blending can do. If you have certain components and they work together and you figure out the right ratio, it can be a lot of work. And also uh, could be some maths involved to uh, work out the practical side of it, yeah. but it's definitely worth it to, to, to reach this uh, degree of complexity that you otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't get. Now, you came up with a second beer, didn't you? You just told me. What, what is, what's kind of the conclusion of the, the tasting and blending session then, Erwin? Well, the conclusion is that in the, the first beer we made was basically uh, one-third of, uh, of the uh, Saison and two-thirds of the uh, Oedipus uh, Berliner Weisses. Yeah. And the two-thirds being split over three different barrel types, basically. Yeah. And then uh, I did a quick calculation, and I thought, okay, we have then still we we still have a lot of saison then basically. Mm -hmm. So what if we reverse the ratio? So yeah. if we use two thirds of a saison and one third of the Berliner Whites, also also split between the three different barrels. Nice, and that was really nice as well, and 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 different, and and it's conceptually also good, of course. Uh, so, so it, you basically have uh, the same beer twice, but with very different ratios. So well, almost like two beers that will yeah. completely oppose each other yep. in a lot of ways, for like for, on, in terms of flavor and taste. So and it's very efficient because we used all the beer. And that's also important. <laughs> we also have to think about that as brewers, I guess. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's great to be able to sit down for you quick. And I think your brewing is, is really at the core of what, at what Van Mol does. What happens to Van Mol if you were not there, if you were not to help be there brewing the beer? That is sometimes uh, something that people ask me. Well, oh, really? Yeah. yeah also <laughs> within the company. Um, in a way, I can understand that, and I, I, yeah, I see myself as a creative person. So yeah, that's what I add to the company and to the recipes and to trying to do new, different things. But uh, you know, that is also maybe my strength for the company. But mm -hmm. I understand. Yeah. Well, if it, it's not easy replaceable, but I also believe that everything is replaceable. So. Mm -hmm. If for some whatever reason I'm not there in the company anymore, I'm sure that uh, in in another unexpected and creative way it will get solved. And uh, and, yeah. and and it, well, you know, you never know. Sometimes it may might even be for the better. So I mean, I can for me it's easy to say, but I I wouldn't worry about that for the company. I mean, is that a little bit how your brain works? I guess then in the like. Uh we spoke a lot about doing tasting the spontaneity and going with it because of feeling you have the trust that uh, you could trust uh, Van Mol in the hand of other people then if this was to happen you not being there 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, if it's necessary, it's necessary, and yeah. and then you have to take that as into account and and figure a new way out of uh, start of doing things. And uh, like I said, I mean, I, I well, yeah, I think people that really think they're uh, they're not replaceable, uh, well. Uh, that, that, that that's not reality and i think in <laughs> in reality uh, yeah things will be different but i mean that one that doesn't mean they can't be successful or good yeah okay cool and in a time where a lot of brewers feel forced to make certain beer styles due to what's on the market what do you think is the responsibility of a modern craft brewer within uh, the kind of beer landscape I don't know. There, there, there's, there's all kinds of different uh, companies and, and different uh, uh, reasons for people to, to start making beer. I mean, I, I know my reason was, uh, and then uh, and that's uh, well, when we started uh, the company was around the same time as Oedipus, I think, and yeah. around the same time that maybe the first wave of Dutch craft brewers started brewing beer, uh, also like Ursoep and uh, I think Compan and Kaapse Brouwer started around the same time, basically, and, mm-hmm. and a few others as well. I think in, uh, certainly at that time there was there was no Dutch craft beer. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. so the reason that people started brewing beer was because they were excited about beer uh, that they tasted somewhere abroad or whatever, and, mm-hmm. and they wanted to do it themselves and introduce it to to the to the public basically. Mm-hmm. So that's there was a lot of zendingsdrang uh, uh, in Dutch. I don't know what the English word <laughs> is for, for that, but yeah. you know the uh, to to. Well, sending song, what's the English word? I have no I idea. Know. No, I can't help you on that one, unfortunately. But you have, have you and, and creativity? So that's yeah. that's that's I think what binds all these brewers together. I think that they 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 wanted to do new things, basically, yeah. and 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 that changed very quickly, of course, because the last three or four years, uh, well, the, 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 there's been a lot of Dutch craft beer, and uh, some might even say too much. I don't know mm-hmm. about that, but but people who are now entering the uh, the craft beer brewing world, they well. The, the kind of drive to introduce something very completely new to the to the public is is well it's not there anymore because it's all there you go to any beer shop now and you can buy the most crazy beers mm-hmm. so but have you ever felt pressured by what other beers are on the market in order to make a certain beer style i i i i do feel that there's a lot more pressure for that it's well since maybe a year year and a half to put it and not only not only in the Netherlands but you see it everywhere when mm-hmm. when I was in the UK last summer uh, I visited a lot of brewers and and, and 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 some of them which I visited before as well and and you just saw it happening that uh, there was a lot more folk that you heard a lot more brewers talking about oh let's see what the salespeople think of that oh a mm-hmm. porter I don't know a porter mm-hmm. and and previously uh, when I did collabs you can do you could do everything and people say oh, okay let's do it mm-hmm. uh, coffee ipa with licorice i don't know let's do it yeah but but that that what's was changing that you you could see that there was more about, about what's sellable and what's marketable and what do the salespeople think of it and w- would they want a brown ale probably not yeah but in the beginning that that there wasn't a, an issue at all just people just did it and and also the People just bought it, yeah. But now it's much more that there are certain styles that are very popular, and 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 it also means that if you do something that's not within these styles, it's much harder to sell it. Yeah, but at least harder to get people to try it. I think that's that's the main thing. You know, people uh, they they want uh, the, the hazy IPA or a fruited sour ale or a kind of stout with some pastry mm. flavors. I mean, these are the top three uh, styles I think now. Yeah. So if you make anything in these kind of styles, well, pff, people will just uh, try it. People will buy them. Yeah. yeah. But if you would, if you would have a dry hop saison uh, as a special, 
it would be harder to get people to just uh, pick that can or bottle to take home. Mm, but arguably, doing something like that is uh, maybe a bit more innovative as a brewer. And do you th- maybe that's a kind of style of brewing that takes a lot more energy and time in order to stay on top of your game. And also, yeah, like you said, having to, as a modern brewer, you also have to think about revenue. How difficult is it to kind of sustain being innovative in modern craft brewing? Uh, well, I do think that it helps that you have a, a kind of uh, we have a quite a strong core range of beers, so, so yeah. uh, uh, we 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 have a kind of base that that we know uh, will continue selling. So that makes it easier to 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 do specials and and and, and do things like this, yeah, I guess, like yeah, this or or uh, uh, well, whatever, basically uh, mm-hmm. crazy things, one-off things. Uh, mm. I mean, if you are, there's also breweries, of course, that are mainly only doing specials, and I think then then. That's a very different uh, game altogether because then, well, you have to have something or a couple of new beers every month, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's uh, trying to uh, yeah, it's trying to sell something new every time, mm-hmm. and then I think it's even uh, more uh, uh, well uh, difficult not to brew these styles that everyone wants because uh, well, if you have a if you have to uh, if if that's what you're depending on, then you uh, probably will go for the styles that you know will sell. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And that's what you get. And, uh, well, basically, uh, the, the old, it's already an old joke that you package the same beer with a different name and a different label every month. Uh. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you spoke to me a little bit before you come and, you've come on the show and you mentioned that you now uh, have uh, just uh, built a new recording studio. What, so what are you working on at the moment? What's to look forward to in the world of Erwin van Mol to do with beer or music? Beer. No, no, just... Whether whether it's beer or whether it's music, what's coming up? What's exciting for you? Uh, well, beer-wise, a lot of new things and exciting things coming in uh, well, the next uh, couple of months already. Uh-huh. And like like the Oedipus collab with also collab with uh, with Eleven, which I tasted this morning. Uh, mm-hmm. Another barrel-aged uh, sour ale. Mm-hmm. Um, well, different collabs. We we're doing uh, well. Can't really tell the names yet, but we're doing some collab, two collabs with quite well-known and respected belgian breweries oh nice which i like doing as well i mean, yeah. I mean next month we're re- releasing a special it's, it's a quadruple and, and cool. another quadruple with something crazy added to it but should we i'm just trying to get a really really good quadruple uh made without uh adding strange ingredients yeah so that's uh a lot of new beers coming out and yeah and, and mostly they're not in the hoppy kind of direction i think okay all right and apart from that, yeah, like you said, I, I just uh, moved a little uh, recording studio to basically my office. Exciting, <laughs> exciting. Yeah, and, and I ordered myself a new, brand new Profit 10 oh, yeah. synthesizer, uh, which cost me a fortune, which, which will hopefully be delivered somewhere over the next two months. Exciting. And then, uh, well, then it's... Uh, well, then there's, of course, the risk that I, I'm not at home any uh, anytime anymore because yeah. I'm always over um, during day and the evening. I'm <laughs> How will you find the time to balance that between your role, uh, yeah, between doing your music production and also brewing as well? Well, yeah, well, yeah I've, I've, I've made music for, I think, 20 years. And then the, the, basically since I started the, the brewery, I, I didn't make any music anymore because yeah. it's hard to... Well, it's, it's full also, time. It's full yeah, time. Yeah, you have, to, you have to have an empty head, I think, to to make music, and you can't say, "Well, uh, I'll switch on the, the the computer for an hour and I'm going to make music." Yeah, you can do that, but it won't be good music. Mm-hmm. So it's about finding enough time and uh, weekend days, for instance, to just um, 
be only uh, focusing on music and and mm -hmm. not not on on the other other work anymore. Mm -hmm. But I'm dabbling a little bit already, and I'm quite certain that before the summer uh, will be there, uh, I'm gonna have a, a new album ready because that's that's my aim. Oh, nice, exciting. Yep. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Radio Oedipus podcast. A big thanks to Erwin and to Sander. Keep your eyes peeled on Van Moles and our social media for information about the collaboration over the coming months. You can find all episodes of the show on our website, oedipus.com forward slash radio, and by searching Radio Oedipus on your podcast app. If you use Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure you like and subscribe to keep up to date. The music used on today's show is written and composed by the one and only Ola I Music. And tune in next time for more explorations into the culture of beer. Beer.